0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And we want to give a big, big welcome back to Mutao uh, also known as Napoleon. He's a former member of Tupac's rap group, The Outlaws. He's since converted to Islam, and he's now a motivational speaker. And he's the co-author of the book, Life is Raw, the story of a reformed outlaw, which I have right here. And uh, Muta, he also hosts the podcast, Mutu Q, with his co-host Q Kwan, where they talk about everyday topics from hip hop, tupac life in la saudi arabia and sports and just want to welcome you back to the show man it's great to have you back. thank you
1: brother it's a a pleasure you know what i mean being back on the show and i know we've been trying to make it happen for some time and um thanks for being patient with me appreciate it absolutely absolutely man All right. So
2: let's just jump into it, man. So like, obviously, we, we know your history in the music industry. And I mean, we know, obviously, that you've been critical of it. So what's it been like? So now, you know, obviously, you started podcasting. And what's it been like, obviously, comparing and contrasting it to the music industry? And can you tell us a little bit also about your podcast journey in general?
1: I think the podcast, um, you know, well, the music industry, one of the reasons I got involved in the music industry is because I actually felt like I had a voice. I had a message, you know, what I mean, that I wanted to put out and I was able to be able to use it, use hip hop to get my voice out or get my message out. Like most of us rappers that come from the inner city, you know, hip hop started off just trying to, you know, show it. Was, we was like the journalists of the hood. We mm-hmm. were showing the rest of the world what we've going through in our neighborhood. You know the beauty thing, the 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 I pretty much, in my opinion, enjoy podcasting more because when it comes to podcasting, you're not locked in a certain box. You know what I mean? When it comes to a podcast, you can talk about so many more topics. You can have guests on. You know what I mean? Using music, a person is stuck in a genre, whether it's gangster rap or you know, you know, old school rap or whatever. With po- with podcasts, it's something that you have people all over the world who doesn't even listen to music or listen to hip hop or but. I don't know who doesn't listen to podcasts.
3: You yeah. know what I mean?
1: So if I, I think the, the audience might be more, you know, vast. You know what I mean? I think you can you can get your topic out uh, or your voice or your message in a more, you know, calm and a more authentic way, in my opinion. So I think uh, I enjoy being a podcaster. So shout sure. out to Q. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and I was wondering about that. Actually, how'd you and Q hook up? How'd you guys meet?
1: Well, you know what? I seen I was on a friend of mine, Chef Hadi. He's, uh, he's from um, Boston, the Lebanese brother. I was on his, his Instagram live and I kept seeing him post Q. And he kept saying Q is from L.A. And I kept saying, man, what is this Korean dude from L.A. doing in Saudi Arabia? So I asked him, my man I said, what is he doing out here? He's from L.A. He said, <laughs> well, he's out here. He's doing some training. He's with the U.S. military or the Army or whatever. Oh. And um, I said, man, bring him by the coffee shop. You know what I mean? So he brought him by the coffee shop and we clicked. And a lot of times we was joking a lot on our IG. And someone seemed to, I believe um, Chef Hattie, he's like, man, mm. the way you and to move Click to Q, he's like, I think you guys should do a podcast together. Mm. So Q came to me and I was like, no, nah, I'm not really feeling a podcast. I tried before, you know what I mean? It didn't work out. And he's like, man, let's just shoot one episode if you like it. We continue. if not. I said, you know what? Let's do it. And, and, mm. and it's a good combination. We get a lot of people that's, you know, feeling it, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, man.
2: And I remember you actually had a pretty good podcast the first time around. What happened? How come you just gave up on it? I don't know, man. <laughs>
1: I think it's, um. I tried it twice. I tried to do the two Americans in a Saudi. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah you had to that too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried that, and then I tried my own self. I think I really, I'm, I'm learning as we go, you know what I mean? I'm learning as we go, and I think Q, he had a little more understanding and education and knowledge of how podcasts work. For me, mm-hmm. I didn't really know the difference of a podcast, or just whether I'm just a, a vlogger, you know what I mean? So now we understand, similar to what you guys doing, we have guests. Um, we ask questions. So now we I'm starting to get more and more as a podcast and more into that field. <laughs>
2: yeah, I feel you, man. Yeah. And then it's like with podcasting, man, because I know, obviously, we talked about I think it was the first episode where you mentioned that the music industry was all about control.
1: Mm-hmm. But is it like that here? Yeah. Do you get to be more creative? You get to be more creative, you know what I mean? Like, for example, when you're not in a rush, one thing I know about podcasts and a good thing about, you know, I'm sure you guys feel the same way, that you, you slowly but constantly grow. That's the most important, you know what I mean? Um, Like, I think I seen you post something the other day or yesterday, one of you guys, where it showed your audience is pretty much all over the world now. Yeah, you know yeah, know yeah. I mean? so, that was me. <laughs> then, that was you, right? So yeah, yeah. the good thing about podcasts, nothing going to happen overnight. It's not like music. You can come out with a music and have a, a hit overnight, but with podcasts, unless you got somebody backing with millions of dollars, or you know what I mean. But most podcasters, we starting from the bottom up, which I think mm-hmm. it will make you more appreciative. You know, so I, I I prefer this way. I prefer to be able to sit back and hopefully, God willing, both our all, all our podcasts take off, and we can look back at that in the future and say, man, we was patient. We didn't give up. that would be so i I
0: feel the same way actually even i mean honestly it's not like where it's some high place compared to where we were before but honestly i i could i remember when we started we had really bad equipment we didn't know what we were doing we didn't know uh what sounded good to people we didn't know how to market things a little bit a little bit you know that stuff with the clickbait and and you know knowing how to tag something title but i still don't know
1: how to get that part by the way (laughs)
0: but on it okay but like you yeah, guys pretty good views though yeah. i've I seen it's, it's definitely thousands and thousands of views for sure but i, 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 was I think
1: because q, so. q is involved in that maybe you guys can also talk to q because he can he can give you guys also some insight on how to help, help reach you know a, a, a larger broader audience you know what i mean so he's in charge of that me i'm the type of believe it or not i never listen to my podcast i it's do same. it and I, ne- I never can go back i i just i don't know i don't like to hear myself talk you know? okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same.
0: I can't. It, it hurts to hear. my. I mean, honestly, we talk okay. about great stuff on the show, but it's hard to. Yes. It's like actors. Actors also don't like to, like, listen to their I own see. stuff. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like once you said it, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, that's
1: how, that's how I like to do it, man. You know yeah. what I mean? In your podcast show, man, like y'all showed us love from the beginning, you know? So when I was talking to man. Suleiman earlier and I told him I'm going to do another interview with you guys. And I was like, man, because, you know, they was one of the first who showed us love. Mm-hmm. Y'all hooked us up in so many ways. So we appreciate that, bro. You know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you, man. And then so just to get into the
2: specifics of your show, man. So uh, two of my favorite yes. episodes, obviously, number one is going to be with Suleiman, of course.
1: Uh, but number two is, <laughs> man, the show that you guys did in the first season with the Outlaws.
2: What was that like for you, man, yes. to reconnect with Noble and Needy?
1: It was amazing. You know what I mean? Because I think the last time that I spoke with them all together, like all yeah. three of us on the platform, or you know, it was the Vlad TV interview you know and that was oh, okay. um that was years ago so to be able to have my own platform to bring them back on and you know what i mean i was excited i think i kept i'm learning as a podcaster man i kept cutting them off and cutting them so when i think i went back and seen that uh, video and i was like okay now i know what not to do in the next interview but it was good to speak with them man because we all grew up you know he when noble was on the show he just um if i'm not mistaken, um he had surge open heart surgery you yeah. know what mm-hmm. i mean and they both is on a health you know, trip on their health path. Edie lost a lot of weight. he been exercising, eating right. Noble been exercising, eating right. So it's good to see that, you know, we getting older, man. So we got to take care of our bodies and our minds. So it was good to be able to talk to them in a positive, like, po- positive atmosphere. You know what I mean? It, it, it just shows that we grew up, you know what I mean? We matured. So it was amazing. It was definitely one of our favorite guests.
2: Yeah, man. And how come you think you guys have such different views of the industry? Because, I mean,
1: Noble and Edie are still a pretty big part of it. I think, you know, my, my, the Islam, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You might even have some Muslims that do music and stuff like that. But, you know, when I research Islam more and more, you know, the topic of music and Islam doesn't go together because it's the musical instruments that has an effect on the body, the soul, and the mind. And even non-Muslims did a research and this study and said certain musical instrument, it, it has an effect mentally on the people and physically. You mm-hmm. know, they said there's certain sounds in the, music instru- in the music instruments that can make a person feel happy. That can make a person feel depressed. It can, it can pretty much, like sometimes people wake up depressed and they don't even know why. It's because they listened to a certain sound and fell asleep. You know, in the uh-huh. same way you can say, in the same way they can say, well, you can take the musical instruments and bring some good benefit out of it. And, and, and make people feel good, which, which no doubt about it. And we, and we can compare that to a verse that God says in the Quran when he said about wine you know, alcohol, he said, in it, there's some benefit, but the evil outweighs the harm, so refrain from it altogether. So for me, that's how I did the music, you know what I mean? We we really don't supposed to be listening to music instruments. I know some Muslims will come say it's a difference of opinion, but it's really not a difference of opinion. We really don't supposed to be listening to it. And And to be honest, from the time that I stopped, from the time that I stopped listening to music, I feel more relaxed because there's so many times where I used to be angry, very angry, and and I know it, it was the music, you know what I mean? And the type of music I was listening to and the musical sounds that was affecting me. You know, so sometimes like I can go into a mall or I can go into a store because I was a musician I, and the music is playing, I automatically hear it. And sometimes I tell my wife and them, they're like, well, we didn't hear the music. We never even paying attention. Hmm. And they like, how do you pay? So I, I guess because I come from the background as a musician that I can walk past, and hear something, they click. And the rest of the day, I'm fighting to get out of my head. You know what mm. I mean? So, <laughs> so I'm still sensitive to the sound of music, you know what I mean? So, And, and I notice that sometime because I'm a human being, I might go into the store and I might even be trying to fight fight the sound out of my head. But next yeah. thing I know, it might bring back old memories and things like that. Then all of a sudden I feel sad the rest of the day, a low down depressed. So when you start to realize, when you start to read your body and pay attention to it, you start to know what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, and, and you start to try to stay away from certain things. And so for me, because of my religion, that's why I stayed away from music, listening to music.
2: I,
0: I can definitely see the sense to that. Yeah, for sure. Because like we're always taking in some kind of influence, right? But when music is just happening, I mean, that, again, like you said, it could influence your emotions, right? Yeah, sure, good. something good can come of it too. But the thing yeah. is, the fact that it, it has that much of a control on... Uh, exactly. who you are at the moment right why mm-hmm. why give something that power why if you could control you know your exposure to it then of course I could see the sense in that let's not expose myself to this thing which makes me go up or down I'd rather be kind of at this more controlled place I can see that makes pretty sense. much exactly yeah. what
1: you just said you summed yeah. it up you know what I mean yeah.
2: And then even going into your book, man, I mean, I remember the story about you feeling like at home with sort of some of the gangsters and the dude, you know, the dudes with the guns and the liquor and the weed and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that sort of says a lot, man, about how disconnected people are from the music Mm -hmm. industry, because it's like, I mean, look, I get it on the one hand that that's your home and that's what you're used to. Obviously familiarity is a strong part of it, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, a lot of people want to get out of that place. And then here you are, and you're like, obviously one foot in one foot out. And I'm assuming your kind of perspective was like, yo, these dudes in the music industry are actually
1: much worse than anything I had to deal with back home i mm. trying to run away and I, and I think it was the 90s was a def, definitely different difficult time in the music industry because it was shifting from the 80s to so-called hip-hop hip-hop into gangster music gangster music was new in the 90s it's not like now where some of these rappers can look back at some of our mistakes but we was new with it we didn't know what's going to come after we didn't know if they was going to ban our music we didn't know none of these things many mm. you know Vice presidents and and governors and government entities try to ban a lot, many times the music. So it was crazy because it literally was people that was from the ghetto. Like when we went to Defro Records, for example, imagine people from the ghetto, organized gangbangers here because they they set they set up differently on the west coast and the east coast on a payroll. You know what I mean? Most of the time they just like. I'm going. If I knock this dude out, I might get a a rise (laughs) in my in my next pay. So it was an environment that I thought I was running away from from the because I really come from the streets. I know some a lot of rappers say that, but I really was on the block with my brothers and them trying to sell drugs. I was around when we had shootouts. I was around these things. You know what I mean? So when I got into the music industry, I thought that you know I still had common sense where I wanted. I knew that that life on the streets not going to last forever. Eventually, I'm going to go to prison or get killed. So when I got into the music industry, I said finally I'm escaping that. But when mm. I got involved in the music industry and went to, for example, Death Row, man, the studio was the streets. Yeah. It was no difference. You know what I mean? It was no difference. And I was just like, uh, that's the reality. And I think you you got to understand these corporate, these big music, um, what what we call um labels, who are like, mm-hmm. especially who's um, distributing these, these record companies, they also need to be held accountable. You know, yeah. I don't just like to say the rappers need to be held accountable because you got to understand, let's say you got you got a young black male or latin a latin you know hispanic individual from the hood and he has a chance to get his family out of the hood by doing gangster music mm. or selling drugs or of course education but a lot of time if he have talent in rapping and he can make millions of dollars easily he's going to go that route right. you, know, you know what i mean and these people who's paying the millions of dollars most of the time he's not going to take accountability he's going to say you know what i got to feed my family so it's a it's everybody need to be more responsible From the artists and the music industry that's putting out this music, because like I said before, I don't know if I ever heard of a music company that's distributing these gangster music, helping any anything in the community. Like I never heard, I never heard Interscope Records go to the community and set up a youth center, or go to the community and set up a tutor center to help people get, you know, know how to read or do math or something like that. They just take, 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 and give, get. And once the artist dies, they don't do nothing. They don't even pay for the funerals. Wow. You won't even have a record company paying for the funeral of a dead artist on a record label. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. crazy, bro.
2: Yeah, damn it. And so if you could go kind of back in time, right, when you were starting out in the music industry, what would you tell your younger self?
1: <sighs> um, I usually, what would I tell my younger self? That's a good question, man. Because, you know, I think because I, I, I look at life, bro, to be honest, all the mistakes that I made, I had to go through that. You know what I mean? And I, I, I look at it like I, I try not to say that I wanted to change anything because it wouldn't allow me to be the person I am today because when, with hardship comes ease, with, with, you know, falling down and getting back up, you know, what to do the next time not to fall down in that same place. So I think everything I went through was a reason for me to go through that. You know what I mean? I think it shaped me into the person I am today because if I didn't go through that as a youngster, I will not be able to look at my kids now and say, stay away from this, don't do that. You know what I mean? So I really yeah. I really appreciate, I really, I might not agree, with the things I went through, but I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Because they they was life lessons, bro. You know? I feel wait, hold on, man. So, somebody's
2: calling. Who wait, what do you hold, hold on? Somebody in
0: the
1: room? Oh, somebody, yeah, somebody else in, in the room? What's
2: this? What's
0: going on over here? Oh, who's that?
2: Hold on, somebody's
1: wait, trying somebody's
0: to, ca- connecting over here.
1: Try to connect. <laughs> oh,
0: whoa. Oh, hey, Sue.
3: Oh, hey, we
1: How's everything, man? Everything is good, man. We just chopping it up with them again, man. How's everything, bro? Things are all right, man. Everything's all right. <laughs> I love how he's got the university in the background.
3: Yeah, yeah, I see, exactly. cool. yeah that's, that's cool. cool. <laughs> that's so cool, all
2: bro. right, and then and move obviously, man. Whenever you're ready to go, you just let us know. But all right, yeah, so let, let the me do first five thing...
1: more minutes because I have a little emergency right now. I was telling I, and um, but I, did, I didn't want to really change the interview because I kept you know telling him we'll be able to do it again, you know what I mean? But let me just do at least five more minutes and then I'll definitely have to go, you know what I mean? I, I, I apologize, bro, but I was like, you know what, it's better than me. No, no, all okay. So, Couldn't so, so, so <laughs> since, we, since we're
0: easy, honestly, easy. it's not a it's not so a good since question. we have the both of you on it, this is the first and question.
1: Suleiman to... co- will continue when I get off, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, the first question I wanted to ask you guys so there's uh something in the works, it seems like, with the book, maybe a movie or something. We working on something, you know what I mean? Yeah. We ain't gonna really go into details, oh, but we got yeah. we got something that we think that um God willing is a company that's very interested in in trying to make this book into a, a series. Mm-hmm. And um so we look at and, and it's looking good. Like I told Suleiman before, we both agree when it comes to anything with Hollywood, we yeah. don't believe in it till that contract is signed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: And the <laughs> and Tumu,
2: and and so, man, can you tell us about like since obviously the last time we talked to you was in April. So what's it been like with the release of the book? What's some of the feedback you've received?
3: Um, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. <clears throat> you know, um, um, like we said, you know, we wrote it in a way where a lot of different people could try to relate. And that's exactly the type of feedback. I mean, we had all different people from all different races, sectors of life, you know, professions, just basically saying like the way uh, the book was written and the stories and the, the you know, the um, the lessons learned from Muta's life, you know, it's a real human story. So, you know, I'm very proud of him that he was able to share it in such a way. And I'm, you know, happy that I was able to present it in a way that was accessible. Yeah,
1: uh, man, I don't think it was nobody better to to write my book, man. I, I really I really can't see it no other way, to be honest. I, I really can't see it mm-hmm. any, any other way that would make it where it's at now, because like what Suleiman said, man, I just got a message, I think, from somebody, I don't know what country this was. And he showed me a screenshot of the book and he like, man, this book touched me. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Baby, I seen Mike Baby a month ago, he said it again to Steve Lobel. He was telling mm-hmm. Steve Lobel, he said, man, this is the first book I picked up and read from cover to cover, to, to front to back. He said, I couldn't put it down. That's and the sounds. good thing about it, man, I, I'm just thankful that Suleiman was able to have that. That Not only he come from the hood, you know what I mean? So he know both sides of the life coming from the hood, from the educational side as well. And he know the hip hop side. He know the outlaws, he know Tupac. So he was able to put it together with where, where it's comfortable, it's easy to digest. You know what I mean? Most, most, most stories from rappers in their life is is hard to digest. I'm 45 years old, about to be 45 years old. I don't think I'm going to pick up a book that sounds like another rap scene. (laughs) I killed this person, did this drop out. You know what I mean? I'm going to probably close (laughs) it. So the way Suleiman did it, where everybody can relate to it. We got old gangsters saying, bro, this is going to make me change my life.
2: (laughs) Wait, and So before we wrap up with you, man, so what do you want in terms of the book, right? What do you want the message about mental health to be to other people? What do you want them to take away from it?
1: I want people to take away that don't neglect your mental health is very serious and it's nothing to be ashamed about, nothing to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? Especially uh, even though times are changing now for the black and Hispanic community. But before we used to look down on a person if they go and try to get help or try to go to a rehab or go try to speak to a therapist. In our community, we clown each other for these things. You know what I mean? But you know what I mean? A lot of us is walking around with PTSD. It is serious from what we went through you know what I mean from what we went through so it's very important to not neglect your mental health it's very important and 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 and, and don't be ashamed to you know if you feel like you need help go get help don't be ashamed
2: I love that. All right, boo. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank
1: you, bro. I wish I could have stayed longer. That all That's good, man. But over, good, man. you got to take over, man. Because well. I got last emergency. It was an <laughs> oh, emergency, God, bro. bro. I even, oh, even came on late, so I apologize once again. But thanks for being patient. We'll do it again in the future, bro. You know what I mean? We'll do Absolutely, it again. Man. Just, wow. just just one time, and then once maybe when I'm back in Saudi and I settle in a couple months, we make it happen again. I feel oh, you, so man. Again,
2: thank you so right. much thanks for man. coming on, right, man. Thank you,
1: brother. All right, peace. Be well, man. One, you too. Bye, bye.
2: All right, so what's up with you, man? What you've been up to? Give oh, us no, a rundown. Man,
1: man. Everything's
3: so, all right, man.
2: Good the last time again. the last time we saw you was uh, well, at least on the podcast. The last time we saw you was in August 2020, man. Give us a rundown.
3: Oh wow, that's a long time. Man. I know.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <But> right <laughs> before the book came You out.
0: should you should talk about uh, you know uh, hip hop. Well, industry. first let's just give an update for
3: uh, for
2: Solomon. Give our audience an update. Yeah. Let us know what you've been up to. That's yeah, because he has some great things, great things going on. A lot has
3: happened in two years. Um, um I mean with, with with regards to the book it was released you know um it did very well um sales have been fine uh like we said uh, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive yep. um we were fortunate to have it um accepted as a donation to the Universal Hip Hop Museum so that was monumental you know they're not just going to accept anything um and uh so you know from the book side everything is fine I'm a, in my personal life I made some major changes I'm back uh to the US after being in Saudi for 17 years which is it was like doing a tour in Vietnam or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um but yeah, I'm back in the back in America. I accepted a position as director of academic programs at Johns Hopkins. So, you know, not a bad landing spot, you know. Mm-hmm. Home. Um and just readjusting the life back home, you know, just taking it easy and you know taking it day by day.
2: Yeah, man. Has it been somewhat of a culture shock coming back?
3: No, honestly, you know, I've been coming back um you know, over the years, back and forth. And actually the past three or four years, I've been coming back more frequently. So, yep. no, I was, I was ready for a change. You know, you're in the country for 17 years. I've seen enough, made enough money. You know, it's time to go back. There's nothing like home, you know?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. get to go back to the Nets games.
3: Yeah, get, get to, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing the right hat this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, you get the Nets and Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so,
2: usually he changes it up, man. He's got the yeah, both yeah. the teams.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And then, so how's it been being, in I guess, back in the academy? What's that been like? What's your day-to-day?
3: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's important for me to continue to be at the university level. You know, just my aspirations. Um, I hope to, uh, you know, become hopefully a dean somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to stay, you know, in that environment. Um, but, you know, this job is a lot different than the other ones. The other ones I was teaching um, and, like, responsible for, like, language development. But this one is really... I'm the director of academic programs at the Institute of Nanobiotechnology. So mm. when I first applied, I had to say that like three or four times. I didn't <laughs> know what the <hell> it was. <laughs> you know, um, it's really scientific based, research based, um, engineering based. Um, so you know, uh, it's good to be you know it's good to be back uh, in academia and things like that. But this is like a whole different level of administrative responsibilities. Um, you know, I'm dealing with the NIH, National Institute of Health. Beyond mm-hmm. the National Science Foundation, writing grants, getting like you know hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in funding, you know. Uh-huh. So I mean, it's been a real, it's been a real challenging but rewarding uh, step up. I'll say that. Hey.
2: Do you think it's too early to talk about your literary project?
3: No, 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 no. You know, um, yeah, that's that's also in the on the on the uh, on simmer. You know, we have a we hopefully have something cooking with a, a movie with the book, um, but yeah, I myself, I feel like I have. Um, You know, I I have a different story, obviously, you know, not the same as moves, um, but I have a story that's unique in that you have someone who was, um, you know, born in the hood, you know, really, you know, not necessarily against all laws because it wasn't that bad, but, you know, definitely uh, underprivileged and things like that. And then was given, you know, afforded tremendous academic opportunities and, you know, uh, you know, by God's grace, I've been able to make the best of them. And be in a position, you know, to be at a place like Johns Hopkins, which is exceptionally selective, um very competitive, and I have a voice. I have authority. You know, um, I'm still keeping up with publishing and um, combating things like racism and discrimination in English language teaching and things like that. So I have a voice. I have the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, my story would be somewhat, you know unique. It would be interesting. I hope um, I think it would be engaging. And there's also a lot in terms of racism that I've faced as a black man across the world, not here, not in America, You know, which which is funny um, because some people will say America is one of the racist countries in the world. But funny enough, I've never experienced one instance of racism here or discrimination, whereas the most that I've faced has been abroad. So um, and particularly in countries where I wouldn't think I would have experienced that based on my faith, um, based on the fact that I'm in Africa, you know, and mm. it's like, okay, but you know, Um, So I think that those are also uh, interesting stories that people need to um, be aware of because, you know, a lot of people have expectations, what it's like to travel abroad as an American, as a Mm -hmm. Black American, and, you know, sometimes those expectations are severely disappointed. So um, I just want to bring, you know, bring those stories to light so that people can just learn from them. you know. So uh, this is
0: something I wanted to ask you. I mean, I actually personally know you you told me about it last time. um, we we had uh, dinner with uh, you and and Kate uh, actually, yeah. but um, uh, this might be good actually for the audience too. Maybe to know like what did you what kind of like be, what did you uh, experience when you were in Saudi Arabia for example in terms of racism and how people treated you there versus even uh, Mu uh, for example.
3: Yeah, so the thing is is you know and everybody's experience is different um, and um, you know racism exists everywhere. Uh, But in some places, it's a little bit more flagrant than it is in other places. A little definitely a lot more, um, a lot more explicit in your face. Mm -hmm. Like I said, in terms of the racism that I've experienced in Saudi, which is, uh, you know, unfortunately, one of the um, countries where I've experienced really the most, it manifests itself in basically how you look, first of all. So if you look african you're going to get treated as an African, which means that, and this is not across the board, but it's my experience. And so I'm speaking mm-hmm. my, um, you know, many times if, if you're in line or if you had a, you know, a customer service, nobody will give you any attention. They'll, you know, skip over you. They'll, but the minute I speak English, clear English, then all of a sudden, oh, you're not African. You're American. How can I help you? This and oh. this and that. Oh, no. so, like, really? <laughs> like, all I had to do was open my mouth, you know? Um, in general, there's, you know, there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, mistreatment of people from like the subcontinental um areas, so like India and Pakistan. I witnessed it myself. And you know, it's just sad to see, you know, sad to see number one, you know, Saudi Arabia is an Arab country and you know, Arabs are um, you know, they come in all colors and you know, shapes and sizes as well. Um uh, but they're very, you know, a lot of them are brown skinned. So I really can't understand the mentality of, you know, why are you, you know, what's this, what's this animosity towards people who look similar to you, you know? And uh, I don't, I just, I just don't understand it. And um, it's it was really tough the last few years I was there to to sort of deal with that and constantly have to um affirm the fact mm. that I'm American. That was the other thing is that it's it whenever you tell somebody you're American it's like they can't believe it. it's like they're dumbfounded Their mouth dropped they're like you american I'm like yeah i'm American. Mm-hmm. they're like how they're like no where are you originally from where are your fathers from where where's your grandfather from I'm like damn does i have to go that deep for you to accept that i'm american mm-hmm. so my name is suleiman andre jenkins you can't get more american than yeah my first name is you know uh islamic but andre jenkins you can't get more american than that you know right um but unfortunately there's this fixation on you know you can't be black with a beard and be american you know if you're white automatically american but if you're black Mm -hmm. with a beard there's some you know we have to do some investigation i'm like dude that that doesn't you know it's just a waste of my time you know no
2: yeah and it's like it's so implicit that people can't even see how much it would hurt another person like for them it's like oh i'm just asking a basic question when obviously there's so much subtext to it
3: right yes it's what they call in, in linguistics we call it um microaggressions right So it's a microaggression, you know, basically I'm, I'm by me asking you where you're originally from, I'm telling you that I don't really think you're American. You don't look like an American stop impersonating, you know, and that's, you know, it would be one thing if I heard it one time, one off time, maybe once a year, it was literally everywhere I went. Sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, we were just talking with Mo about his experience in the music industry. And he was saying something, not exactly that, not exactly what you're saying, but something kind of similar, where he was saying, essentially, that you had people like rappers, you know, young rappers who were getting killed. And essentially, you know, they're making money for this industry for other people. And I mean, other people were were chronically and pretty much the entire time they were benefiting way more so than these young dudes and then the guys would get killed you know whatever they get into trouble they get arrested go to jail or whatever and they wouldn't even sort of bat an eye at it they would just move on to somebody else so it's sort of like this sick industry where we can kind of benefit from you right we could benefit from your labor but then when it comes time to actually like caring for you and actually giving shit shit about you as a person right that's not that's sort of that's not how capitalism here works so it's it's
3: it's just so crazy man it is it is and it's really like i said it's really disheartening, you know, especially when one of the main reasons why I went to Saudi Arabia was because I had such high expectations. I read the the biography of Malcolm X and he yeah, spoke yeah. highly of it. Yep. Uh, I believe Muhammad Ali went there before, I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, he did. He, he actually, he met um, uh, what's his name? Yeah, he met Mal- Malcolm X there at some Malcolm. point. Yeah, I, they had
3: like that split and then they ended up meeting mm-hmm. up again. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, the, the, you know, as a black American Muslim, you know, I thought that the experience would be overwhelmingly positive, we would be welcome, and it just, it couldn't have been any different and, I, and i've been there for seven i was there for 17 years you know so when it first happened in the beginning i sort of just brushed it off like oh you know it's not really the case but the more i lived there the more it became salient that this is just how the people think and you can't change that unfortunately so it's like if i'm not welcome here i might as well go back home you know yeah. going back home is not you know that's not a that's not a bad alternative to come back to america yeah
2: well, I mean, yeah, you feel like you like a lot of stuff here, so that's really cool. I mean, obviously, we've hung out a bunch of times. We just went to the hip hop museum, which was really was dope. Amazing. Yeah,
3: Tia, yeah, Tell us your experience, man. That was amazing, man. I mean, um, you know, we have been we we um, we had the book um, inducted into the the as an exhibit, yep. and I have been corresponding with um, Rocky. I forget his last name, uh, who's yep. like a you know one of the head managers. Uh, it turns out his son, when we walked in, he was actually the tour guide. So yeah. Uh, it was wow. cool. so yeah. funny,
2: by the way. And I've been like hitting him up on Instagram and like Twitter yeah. or whatever. I didn't even know that it was him. And yeah, so, I, so cool. I come up to him and I'm like, Oh, by the way, so Saul has a book here and he's like, Oh, I know. And I'm like, what? How do you know? And he's like, dude, he's like, I talked to you on Instagram. I'm like, Oh, it's you. Yeah, he
3: was like, yeah, it's finally it's great for you guys to finally make it here. And yeah. I heard, you know, Lee and I were looking like, okay, yeah, great. But then They're like, really- who is this guy? <laughs> he was like, how does he know us? <laughs> Because yeah, it's like a yeah, like great for you guys to make it here. Yeah. Like, why? Who's, who's,
2: who's.
3: And <laughs> as we're like tagging and posting on Instagram, the museum is liking and reposting right away. Yeah. Doing it right then and there. <laughs> yeah. That's oh wow, that's
1: it's happening right Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, look like, at like, this like, guy. And, yeah,
2: and he was such a dope dude, man. So the he, like, he cool, had man. like this. Um, so he first of all, he was super enthusiastic, which I really appreciated. And then, like, as you're looking at different materials, like let's say, you know, LL Cool J's, Run DMC's clothes, jackets, whatever, he's actually coming up to you and like giving you the background info about it. And then when you're like pointing something out, like we saw, um, we saw a picture of Pac from Digital Underground from like 1990, and then he gives us like this backstory on this photo, and. Uh, he he's like look as you see the number and it says like tupac as in t-o like tupac right because he misspelled oh. it and then his number and then he's like that was actually his number at the time and it was like just like a memo given to somebody and i look at sol and i'm like oh bro you want to call Pac? <laughs>
3: shit. that's that awesome crazy. wow yeah you know, what's... it was really nostalgic you know just to see like they had all these like old tvs and stuff like that it's like man i i remember this stuff when i was a kid it's amazing to have it on exhibit and see it and you know we saw like handwritten letters of you know uh some you know old school rappers and things like that. It was just really amazing to just see all that stuff. Um and I, I guess we're really looking forward to the nineties nineties exhibit which will be coming up uh next and so we can really finally see like you know the nineties age of you know hip hop and rap.
2: That's yeah cool. what's so and what's so cool is hmm. that they have like um so they have what are they called? Um Oh man, What's it, what do you... Oh, shit, I wish I was an actor or something. You know when you go to a set, like what are the props or whatever? I, don't, I guess props or whatever. So they would call it props on the set. So they literally had a bunch of props from like different shows. So they had the mm-hmm. whole background to Yo! MTV Raps. Like the actual wow. background. So it was like the original, like the window, uh, whatever, orna- ornaments. I don't know what they Whoa. call it. Yeah. I, I so I suck at design. I don't know what they call it. <laughs> Whatever. So they had like the actual like windows with the ornaments on it. And it has like the sticker with Yo! MTV Raps. And then like they have... Dude, they even have VHS tapes that I've never seen before before yeah, so was solo's like oh dude i grew up with these i'm like bro i've
3: never seen these before yeah.
2: wow uh-huh
3: yeah, it was crazy it was a great experience great experience Shall yeah make... man. yeah thanks for taking me
2: yeah you got it man yeah and did the tvs yo know, the tvs were so awesome they were literally like from the early 80s so it's old like
0: school, like crt tvs like yeah, the big right? gigantic and then, yeah
3: and even the small ones like the the portable ones it was hilarious it's like yeah, the oh my the tv i mean in the kitchen you know like on top of the refrigerator
0: I hate to ask this a weird question, but did they have like Betamax over there too? I don't Probably. even know. No. What
3: is that? What, you don't
0: I don't know Betamax. I have no idea what that is. I, I'm, I, we're the same. I'm actually younger than him, so I shouldn't know what we're, Betamax is. I don't know what that is. But no, my brother grew up in the 80s. So, like, mm-hmm. for example, yeah, before there was VHS, mm-hmm. there was something that was for a little while, something called Betamax. And that would be how some people watch some videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no idea what a Betamax player looks like or right, anything yeah. like that. But that's all I'm
3: just like, do they have that too? Wait,
2: so you know you've
0: you've heard no, of this
3: no, thing? No, I've heard of A Track, but I've never heard of Betamax. I feel all right, I'm dating A-Trak. myself. I don't know where I'm getting my information
2: from. I gotta go <laughs> with this later, but well, yeah. And like the old VHS, so the VHS tapes, the ones that I'm used to are like, you know, the black ones where it's like of you course. put on the, yeah, those are not the ones they had. They had they were nah. silver. Yeah, they yeah. were silver <laughs> with a black top. And I'm like, yo, I've never seen that before.
3: Yep, yep, <laughs> yep,
2: yep, so yep. wild man. Well, do you so if you had to kind of choose like one or two things, what were some of your favorite exhibits there?
3: Um the exhibit with uh, the West Coast was cool with Dr. Dre and and um yeah. and um ice tea. I mean, sorry, Ice Cube, Ice Cube, of yeah. that stuff. Um, and then, uh, the letter, the one where there was a letter. Uh, yeah, one guy, I forget, I forget who it was, man. It's, it's a shame. Um, but he was basically writing how he was in a group and they, they, they ripped they, him off. They ripped him off. And stuff like that. Uh, and he had it all written out. He's like, you know, we joined this group and you know they were supposed to give us money, but they, you know, they did this and that. So that was, you know, that was cool to see. And then also in that same exhibit, they had like a whole bunch of old uh, cassette tapes you know which were like um what they call mixtapes or yeah you know, sampling tapes of all the all the work that this this guy this group did you know it's just amazing man to see you know that that's what you know that was that's what the origins was you know were back in the days and it was so um it was so classic we didn't have digital anything you know and you have all these they had like cassette albums you know mm-hmm. I mean? like this big thick thing and nothing but uh cassette tapes and it's like, dude. Who in the world walk around with a cassette album these days? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I've never seen those before. Yeah, it's literally yeah. a cassette album,
2: so it's like it's like you know you put like your discs in, but it's four cassettes, and it's yeah. like what? What are you? First of all, it's heavy. I'm like, what are you supposed to do with yeah, there was people who used to carry a like a big boom boom boombox, box, box, yeah. yeah. But yeah, at least there's some point. use,
3: right?
2: You know, it's like you're it's music right. coming out of it. So You're like, right. okay, that I could picture, but like imagine
3: carrying around like a briefcase of cassettes. Right.
0: Ah. Uh, Somebody they did, did it. it for sure. I know somebody a hundred percent did it back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. little
3: kids now, they would not they wouldn't even see the logic of that. Like, why would you do that? When you yep. They'd be like, I have everything in, exactly. in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know. Imagine they're like, it would screw these guys like in the future. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
2: Well, so, so and then tying this into your book, man, because you covered hip hop a lot. It wasn't in it wasn't just you know Tupac or what well, definitely wasn't Tupac. It was mostly a Beal story, but it wasn't just Beal. it wasn't Tupac, it wasn't the outlaws. You covered the whole sort of milieu in which they found themselves, right? So we're thinking like hip-hop from probably late 80s to like let's say mid to kind of I think late nineties. So can you tell us about that? What get what went into your decision to actually cover what was going on in the industry at the time, as opposed to just making it an outlaw story? Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was inter- it was interesting, and, um, you know, to me, you know, that this is a lot of the challenge that I'm having right now with my own uh, book. Um, mm-hmm. um, before you write, you really have to have an idea about what you're trying to achieve, why you're trying to achieve it, who you're trying to reach, and, you know, I knew that, you know, talking to Muta, I knew that his story in and of itself just, it was just so, um, so live and so rich with, you know, tragic stories and things like that. I knew that that was, you know, that was going to write itself. But Mm -hmm. I also wanted, you know, as a researcher, I also also wanted to take the opportunity to tie in um, whatever I could that was relevant to his life at the time. Because, you know, regardless of whether Mu recognized or not, he is a part of hip hop history. Mm -hmm. And he's a notable figure in, you know, hip hop, you know, rap history. So I didn't want this to just be, a book about someone's life, I also wanted it to be like a history book, um, you know, in terms of people being able to read it and learn about all the things that was going on, all the things that led up to his era of um, rap. And it just so happened that rap took off just a little bit before he was born, you know, not that long, not not much longer before he was born. So that was a perfect segue to talk about the introduction of rap, what it served in, in, you know, for black communities, how it exploded, you know, on the scene, all Mm -hmm. the early uh, hip hop artists. Um and then to relate that to see how he fit in that as it's starting to blow and then it grew and then it blew up on a monument like a global level with Pac and Biggie and Jay-Z and things like that so it was just it was just too juicy of an opportunity to miss to not include that stuff um and it didn't take much extra effort to just you know look here and pull here and and, and a lot of things too I was born in that era so a lot of things I knew just you know naturally and instinctually um, but it just took a little bit more effort to to um you know to you know um, search here and do that and the result is you know i think the hip-hop museum really appreciated that aspect of it you know that was really historical and well documented you know and so now you know it's going to be in the in the you know in the hip-hop museum um but i also hope that it would be you know it's 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 also written in a way where it could be taught in schools you know because it has a lot of different avenues that you can examine the book you know from yeah i mean if you want to have a a a a I mean, Nas is studied in school. You know, he studied in university. Uh, his yeah. life is studied. You know, Tupac's life is studied. pox uh, definitely. Yeah. So why not? You know, why not have Mu, you know, why not have his life, you know, studied in university in the context of what he went through, but also in the context of how his life relates to, you know, Black America and hip hop and rap. So like I said, it was too juicy of an opportunity to pass up. And that's why
2: I included it. Yeah. And then, so what do you love most about hip hop?
3: I mean, honestly, it's the it's the the, poet, the poetic nature of it. You know, I myself, I'm a writer, um, and I just love how they play on words, man. It's just unbelievable how you play on words, play with words, and create these compelling stories and narratives, and it's all rhythmic, it all rhymes. Um, you know, I studied Shakespeare as well in, in college, and basically, when I got to college, I, I hadn't studied, uh, uh, sorry, I, I studied sp- uh, Shakespeare in high school. Mm-hmm. Before I got to high school, I never studied Shakespeare, but when I got there and we started learning about you know how poetic it was I was like oh this is the same thing as rap it's no different you know um it's just that this is codified you know from centuries ago and rap just mm-hmm. the same but it's the same same exact uh, you know idea of just playing on words and you know the the creative the creative potential just is just infinite you know infinite you know um I wouldn't say that about now I, I have you know I'm gonna keep my mouth shut about the rap that I hear now it just doesn't seem mm-hmm. that much purpose or, you know, there's no soul. And, yeah. No, soul, no messages other than, you know, how much money I have, how many women I'm with, how many clubs I went to, you know, how many cars I have and you know, how much crack I sold. I mean, okay. If, you know, little, little, this said that little, that said this, I mean, every little says the same thing. It's you know, just so I just don't get it uh, these days, but back in the days, you know, they really have really strong, you know, positive messages um, to give to, to people in general, but particularly to, you know, black Americans about, you know, just the, you know, what life is like and the struggle and keeping your head up and, you know, being respectful and just, you know, speaking truth to power and things like that. So, you know, it'll always have, you know, it always have a special place in terms of, you know, just how powerful it was and how much, you know, I listened to it a lot when I was younger. And, you know, there's certain things you just, you just can't forget, you know, and it's very powerful. I think it's lost a lot of that now, but it is what it is
0: question do you think that it's that it's lost now or that is just not promoted in the mainstream because I, I don't know i have a feeling like there's people who still have that soul oh, yeah oh yeah. But,
3: yeah oh yeah like yeah yeah that's the thing so basically like from what i hear the the whole rhythm of rap has changed like it's not as slow as it was before and it's you know the people they just they're just not talking about the things that i've talked about before um I have heard like recently, you know, a few rap lyrics from a, a few underground guys, but they're underground. And when when I listen to them, it's like, oh, this guy really is intelligent and he's speaking mm-hmm. like lyrically, he's lyrically intelligent. He's right. not just saying, you know, I walked to the bank, I took a tank, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna be you know, just saying nonsense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> okay, what does what did I just benefit from what you just said right now? Absolutely nothing. As right. opposed to somebody who's actually saying some real stuff in a poetic way and you know stuff that resonates has a message um i just don't think that those kind of people are and I, I just don't think it's marketable anymore you know so um Damn. you just have to get with the flow i mean you like even eminem you know he's had to change his style and flow to match how people are rapping now because how he used to rap is not the same it's not the same flow and styles like you have to be like mumble rapping you right. know that's like the new genre you know so you know it is what it is things change you know but you always have all these, all these goodies, you know?
2: Yeah, Hmm. I I always mention, uh, I don't remember the name of the album, but T.I. a couple of years, not even a couple, I think this is now a decade, probably even plus. So (laughs) yeah, not even a couple. couple, Yeah, Yeah, he he came out with like, specifically, like it was tailored to an album to Black Lives Matter. So the idea was they were all sort of politically in tune songs. And it was more so about, uh, like, I don't know, I don't want to call it consciousness raising, because I don't think that that's how he would describe it. But it was mainly uh, songs to, you know, it was a mental uplift, right? So it was a way to empower people, uplift them, it was a way for them to become socially conscious. And and, yo, it bombed, man. It, and he says oh, it. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, yo, I knew that it was going to bomb as soon as I put it out. I don't even think it was distributed by a major label. I think he just did oh, it yeah. himself. But it completely bombed. And he's like, yo, you know what? I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to put out an album like everybody else's and like I've been doing? And, you know, just another one that's going to be forgotten in a year or two? Or do I do something that's at least going to be memorable to some people? And he chose the latter.
3: Right, right. I mean, at some point, man, you know, you, you just have to you either go with the crowd or you go with your heart, you know, and, and I'll always choose to go with my heart, you know, so I don't, you know, kudos to him, you know, yeah. it, it bombs it bombs. If you want to change up your style to make money, yeah, you got to do what you got to do, you know, but I just, like I said, I just can't, I can't, I can't understand what they're saying half the yeah. time. And then when I do understand what they're saying, they're not saying anything. So yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, man. And then the book that you guys obviously wrote, super, like, super uplifting, man. It's one of those things where, I mean, obviously, taught in the classroom and getting to understand what the environments were like. Great. I mean, obviously, we want that. But then also, again, going back to that Tupac statement, man, of that kid living that thug life. That's what I appreciated the most about the book. Like, it was so empowering for just some kid, man. Just some random kid who will pick it up and think, like, oh my God, here's this guy, obviously, Moo, who will just, who's exactly like me, who's pretty much the kind of epitome of what I, what I, am going through in terms of what he was going through and what his life was like and you know feeling like i have nothing to offer the world you know obviously his parents were killed wondering you know who's gonna take care of me who the hell even loves me and so damn man that was i I, i'm sure you guys somewhere down the road are gonna get comments i bet you anything watching 10 years you're gonna get some kid who's like in his 20s at the time he's gonna be like yo i read this book when i was like you know 13 14 or whatever and it changed my life
3: that's amazing yeah that's amazing i really I mean, those kind of comments, you know, when people, when we do get them, it really, you know, really touched me because, you know, you know, that was the intent from the beginning is to really present his story and package it in a way where it just resonates and it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. You know, um, obviously, the closer you are to his environment, the more I think it, it will resonate. But, um, you know, we just hope that people could, you know, could uh, could appreciate it um, and recognize the, the value in his story. And I think, you know, I think we achieved that. I'm just happy, happy it's done. And, you know, looking forward to the next project. I love that.
2: All right. And then, so as we begin to wrap up first, I want to give a shout out to Andy O'Farrell because I'm going to ask a question that he normally asks in this podcast or shows, whatever you want to call it. Um, Okay. So, so top five hip hop songs of all time for you.
3: Top five hip hop songs of all time. Okay. Uh, It's going to be a tough one. It is. I'm going to have to keep it, I guess, as PG rated as possible. Um, hey, not on
2: our show, but it's up to <laughs> you.
3: <laughs> uh, Dear Mama, definitely. Yep. Uh, Dear Mama, uh, White Man's World. Um, uh, if I Rule the World, you know by Nas. Classic. Um, Brooklyn's Finest uh, by Biggie and Jay Z. How many is that? Is That's four? four. Four. One more. Uh, one more. Uh, we uh, got to get one with Napoleon. Rock, not which Rock one? Rock. No, oh, never mind. Napoleon? Oh yeah, Napoleon's all out. Yeah. All out. Yeah. All <laughs> wait, out. wait, 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 which one? It's called All Out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Napoleon and um, uh, Napoleon, Tupac and
2: uh I, I think. Oh, I, he wasn't on that one. Oh, no, no. no, no.
3: Oh, I thought he was. Yeah, he might, been, he, he might have been the the the, the hook. The, the yes,
2: he was. He was the hook. He was the hook. Yeah, yeah. You all out. Cash was the third one such a hard song man that was like one of those like because you know it was on um it was like one of the what was it yeah the kind of post what's the word post thomas post hominist whatever yeah Um, it was you know after he died Okay, i'm still not gonna to after somebody died. yeah yeah when somebody died yeah so it was one of the later Pac albums so uh um, yeah so like many people don't know about the song because that was like when they already stopped kind of doing videos for him but yeah man all out was so hard even the napoleon's verse was so disrespectful i'm sure he knows yeah. it's so disrespectful
3: a <laughs> lot <right?
1: laughs>
3: crazy. Yeah, crazy i definitely listened to that a lot when i was you know younger and just brash and just you know just a raw you know teenage guy you know it's just a lot of testosterone in that in that track
2: (laughs) yeah yeah man and then you know with napoleon i still can't believe so one of my favorite songs of all of the outlaws is the good die young i can't believe like napoleon can say he was on that song not only was he on that song but he and Pac, their verses were virtually as good so like i don't i it's hard to even you know really say which one was better but both of their verses were amazing and i was like wow man like this dude can literally say that to leon he had one of the greatest songs of all time (laughs) Mm -hmm. all right so man it was so great Um, having you on man Amen. Oh, right at the end.
0: I love that. Oh, we got a little lag here. We'll tell you what. So to everyone who's listening right now, we're definitely going to post where you can follow uh, uh, Muta, where you can follow Soul. It was a pleasure having both of them on. This was amazing. It was a cool get a pop in from Soul too. And you know what? Mitch, uh, what do you think? Give it another second for him to pop back in.
2: I think this is it. But that's hilarious. That literally right toward the end. That's actually perfect. In some way, you know, the God smiled.
0: No worries. Then in that case, guys, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast. Wait, wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. I think he's coming back. Oh, he's back. back. You're oh, <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> Yo, but that was like,
2: Right was at it? the end. Right at the end. All right, so, man, it was... Wait, no, I think it's gone again. That is hilarious. We should actually leave this in. This is funny.
0: No, I think this is great, yeah. <laughs> so, again, guys, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter, You'll like subscribe hit the bell the bell again we're gonna post where you can follow soul uh, where you can follow boots oh and we got uh, soul back
3: yeah, sorry <laughs> That's
2: it. it's all good man all right thank you so much for coming on man thanks, really man. right at the end they got cut off
3: yeah sorry man it's my pleasure man thanks for having me on and you know once i get moving on uh you know the next book project i'll definitely you know inform you guys i hope i can be on again absolutely, absolutely. man where can we follow you uh you can follow me on twitter at uh Suleiman jenkins um, and on Instagram, on Suleiman Jenkins BK, they deleted my old account. Unfortunately, it makes no sense. Oh. But yeah, my new account is Suleiman Jenkins BK. So BK. weird, man.
2: All right, man. We'll, t- we'll be in touch with you soon. Thanks, Thanks so much man. again. Take care.
3: Hey, uh, I gotta sign oh. your book. Alan, oh, absolutely. Yeah. He, he has me. it. He has it right I here. It. I got it right here. Oh, <laughs> I got man. it right here. Oh, <laughs> man. I'll be bringing it. Man. Man. <laughs> 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 right, Take care. care. Man. All right, man. Talk
2: see. to you soon. Oh,
0: please. please. All right, guys. So again, thanks so much for watching. Again, you know where to find us. Like, subscribe, hit the bell. the bell. See you next time.